0: A blessing for us to be together today. We're glad that you are, are with us and um, and worshiping our great and awesome God together. I have to begin this morning with a, a confession. So last Sunday uh, evening, our family we were driving to our life group and the kids were we were talking about the the sermon and everything, talking about this this series and um, and my daughter wanted to know about uh, the next sermon, which of course would be this one. So she said, "Dad, what's the topic?" And I said, "Well, sweetie, we're." talking next week about anger, and then she said, so which story are you going to tell? <laughs> so what, 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 do you, what do you mean? And, and so over the next few minutes, my family started going back and forth through all the stories they could tell that involved me and and my anger. This is not good. So one of them said, you know, you ought to tell the one about the time we were at the Braves game, and you got mad at that guy because he yelled at Abby Kate. And then another one said, no, no, no tell the one about Chick-fil-A, where the guy almost hit us with his car, and you got mad at him. And and, and Sonny said, if you really want to get their attention, you should tell them about the time you got mad at the DMV. And uh, the good thing for you is you're not hearing any of those stories today, all right? Those are family, family stories. Um, my confession to you is this, that this entry in the, the Clean Living series, this one really hits me squarely between the eyes. Because dealing with anger, that's something I can really, I can really relate to. Maybe you can, too. Uh, we, we deal with anger in different ways, and there are so many things that can, can cause our anger to spark, uh, you know, whatever your pet peeve might be, <laughs> whatever, uh, you know, those daily little irritations might be, there are, are constant opportunities for us to, to let our anger get away from us there. Some of us are dealing with situations that are a far greater magnitude, you know, the pet peeve thing is way down here, but some of us are dealing with things that we feel sort of justified because we're dealing with issues of a, of, a, of a great, great magnitude. But whatever the trigger might be for you and however you go about dealing with your anger, anger is one of those things, if we don't get a handle on it, it'll get a handle on us, right? If we don't learn to deal with our anger, then our anger will certainly be dealing with us. That's why we're, we're talking about it today. So today, as we, as we reflect on this, I, I'd love for us just to, to be open to what God's Word has to say about anger and, as we've said all summer long, the toxic impact that it can have on our lives. I want to begin by showing you a quote from uh, Mark Twain. This quote is attributed to Mark Twain. Supposedly, he said that anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. That's why we have these images of you know, the acid and the, the chemicals over here on the wall, because this this is a kind of a popular way of thinking of, of anger. But I wonder what you, you might think of this of this statement. In essence, what Mark Twain is saying is that anger does more harm to the one who harbors it than to the one who receives it. and I'm not sure he's right. I, I would certainly say that anger has a tremendous impact on us when we harbor it, and even the anger that we feel and experience that can have some some pretty devastating effects on us personally but some of us are here today and I think we we bear the scars of someone else's angry outburst I wonder how many of us today would say yeah I'm I'm still kind of wincing from from the verbal abuse of of someone who in their anger flew off the handle and, and said some things that really cut deep to your heart and in a room this size there are some of us who show up today bearing not the scars of those, that verbal abuse, but it might be more physical in nature. No, I, I, I think I would disagree with Mr. Twain, and I would say that anger is one of those things that has an impact on all of us. Those of us who deal with trying to get a handle on our anger on a regular basis, or those of us who've been at the receiving end of someone else's angry outburst. The Bible has a lot to say about anger. In fact, I want want to begin here. There are 15 different places in the scriptures where God, through the power of his word, he compares anger to fire. 15 different places throughout the scriptures God does this. Most of these references you'll find in the Old Testament prophets. So there's these places where God is speaking through these prophetic mouthpieces and and God is angry. He's expressing his anger oftentimes at Israel's uh, idolatry, Israel's unfaithfulness. And so just one of those places, just kind of a for, for example, Isaiah chapter 30. God says, see, the name of the Lord comes from afar with burning anger And dense clouds of smoke, his, God, his lips are full of wrath, his tongue is a consuming fire. So again, that's just one of about 15 different places where anger and fire are compared in the scriptures. And that gives us, I think, a helpful way for us to think about anger. Because when a fire rages out of control, the effect can be what? Well, it can be devastating. We know that to be true. Last fall, we saw on the news images from the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. You remember the wildfires that were were raging through the park in late November and early December? You might not recognize the full magnitude of those fires, but those fires burned down close to 18,000 acres of God's creation. More than 2,000 buildings were destroyed, and most tragically, 14 individuals lost their lives. And that's just one example of those out-of-control, reckless kinds of fires and how devastating they can be. But we also know this. We also know on the other side of the ledger that fire can have a lot of positive applications, right? When it's properly managed, when it's properly channeled and contained, fire can be used for a whole host of things. You can use it for warmth. You can uh, you know, boil water. You can use it to, uh, to cook, to, to fend off the darkness if you're camping. You know, there are a lot, of, a lot of applications, a lot of good things that fire produces it's just a matter of properly managing that fire all right so in the same way in the same way it seems fair to say that anger operates it seems as if God is trying to make this comparison and so I think there's something we can learn here we know full well again the danger that comes from wild and reckless out of control anger things are said things are done and the effects can be again catastrophic but in, in much the same way, if that anger, maybe you prefer the term, you know, righteous indignation. <laughs> it's kind of a way of cleaning up some of our language about anger. But if that little initial spark of something that makes us angry can be properly channeled, we, we will see here what I hope today from, from God's word, we'll see that that anger, when it's channeled properly and managed properly, it can actually bring about something righteous and holy and good. One thing we need to say right up front is that anger in and of itself is not sinful. It's easy to think about some of the ways in which anger prompts us and gets us off in the ditch and gets us into some sinful behaviors, right? Those are, those are easy to, to picture. But in and of itself, anger is not sinful. Today, we will look at a passage from the Gospels that talk about, talks about Jesus being angry, and, and I want us to see that the anger that he experiences actually prompts, not sinful behavior, but actually prompts something good and righteous and even miraculous. But before we get to that episode from the gospel, before we look at that example from, from Jesus on how to deal with anger constructively, I think it's important that we, we take a look at what, what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. We'll, we'll begin by diving into this passage from God's word Certainly feel free to turn there in your Bibles. You'll see these words here on the screen as well. The toxic potential of anger is what Paul speaks of here. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and this is just a short little little thought in the midst of his teaching in the back half of this letter. But he begins in verse 26 with this, this line, in your anger, do not sin. And it's in, in quotation marks here. Maybe it's that way in your Bible as well. It's probably a footnote directing you back to Psalm 4. David is, uh, Paul is quoting from King David. He's quoting Psalm 4 in this line, in your anger, do not sin. And that's a brief little statement, but it is really important for us as students of the Bible, as people who are trying to hear God say something to us today through this, that little line is really, really important because there's an important truth We can learn there. The truth of God's word is that there is this space where it is possible to be angry and not sin. All right? So listen, there's this space, according to God's word, where it's possible to be angry and yet not give in to sin. So if we assume, again, that all anger is sinful, every expression of anger is sinful, and even to feel angry, that's, that's sinful. Well, that's not exactly what God's word says. Now, in my opinion, almost all of the anger we experience eventually gets me off into some sinful patterns and behaviors. So we have to be really, really careful. We're not trying to baptize anger completely. But we're just saying, according to God's word, there's this space that we can inhabit where we're angry and we're not giving in to sin. And that'll be important when we look at the Gospels here in a few minutes in this example from Jesus. So, because of this, we're trying to read in between the lines of what Paul says and and look at what we see in the Gospels there with Jesus. Because of that, we need to distinguish between two types of anger. And this is my language. This is not, you won't find this exact thing kind of stated in the Bible, but we're trying to make application of what we see there in the scriptures. Okay? So there is this righteous anger. We would call it indignation. Again, we would call it anger that prompts godly action Uh, that's the the anger that i'm going to say you'll see in in jesus here in just a few minutes when we look uh, at mark's gospel we'll see this kind of anger firing up in in jesus it's it's anger that leads to righteous action okay it's it's the kind of thing that uh, we might say when we experience Uh, someone something some force or whatever that that is uh, opposed to God or opposed to the Word of God and then we feel that little bit of you know a little bit of a spark we feel that that upsets us that's what we're talking about here with this righteous kind of anger when there are things that make God angry and when those same things make us angry I think it's fair to call that righteous anger okay so that's what we're talking about here. But on the other side of the equation, what we would say is this this other type of anger is sinful anger. And that, that's that's this reckless, kind of wild and, and out-of-control anger, the anger where I'm I'm saying stuff, and I'm I'm throwing things, you know, it's just this out of control anger, that is the very thing that Paul is warning against. In Ephesians four, when he quotes David, it's the very thing that David is warning against back there in Psalm four. So, Old Testament and New Testament, you find this warning against this kind of sinful anger. And so, when when that when our anger fires in that direction, when it when it's veering into this, this sinful kind of anger, what Paul says is that we're giving Satan we're giving Satan a foothold. Literally, that word that he uses, he says we're giving Satan a place. Hmm. Giving Satan a place in our minds, giving Satan a place in our hearts. It's like we're, we're inviting him to the dinner table. You know, we're inviting him to, to just camp out in, in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls whenever we allow that anger to fire in this sinful kind of direction. That's why Paul is so adamant about us resolving our anger quickly. Uh, the language he uses, he says, you know, don't let the sun go down on your anger deal with it because the longer we let it just lay there the longer that anger is unresolved the more opportunity we're giving Satan to use that anger against us you believe that the longer that anger just lays there but but, you know I'm not going to resolve it I'm just going to either you know Just kind of ignore it, or I'm going to blow up and scream and yell, or whatever. However you choose to deal with anger, but if it's not resolved in a way that honors God, if it's not resolved in the way that that God says it ought to be resolved, and you just sort of leave it there, you're giving Satan a place in your heart and in your mind. So he says, resolve that quickly. Now again, in my opinion, almost all of the anger we experience eventually ends up in this sinful anger category. That's just my opinion. And the reason that I say that is because anger is usually a self-centered emotion. When I get angry, when you get angry, more often than not, it's not because, listen, it's not because I'm upset over the things that make God upset. Most of the time, I'm angry because I didn't get my way, (laughs) right? I'm I'm not angry. The things that make me the most angry typically aren't the things that make God the most angry. Again, that would be that righteous kind of anger, right? But when I tend to get angry, when you tend to get angry, it's usually because I didn't get my way. <laughs> because I wanted this, but I got that. I was trying for this, but ended up here. You know, all of those, all those stories and all these things that we talk about, those are the areas where, again, because of my, my selfishness, I'm giving Satan a foothold in my life. Uh, another thing we need to establish about anger that I think is really important is, is this, that anger is always a choice. We've talked about this so much this summer. I was telling somebody recently, I maybe even said it last Sunday, but I feel like I've used the word choice. or I've talked about our choices more over the last couple of weeks than any time I can remember because so much of what we're talking about, whether it's bitterness, whether it's anger today or any of these other things we've talked about, it really just gets down to to a matter of, of God wanting us to make better choices. And so the same thing, it's, it's true of anger. Anger's always a choice. You know, sometimes we'll, we'll speak about anger, and, and we'll use this, this kind of language, that, you know, as if we're, we're saying that anger kind of possesses us, that it, it takes on a mind of its own, you know, that anger has this control over us, that we're, that we're kind of, you know, incapable of controlling. So we'll say things like, you know, well, I just lost my temper. You know, we'll shrug it off, kind of like, well... You know, that's just what happens. I'm, I'm the person who loses my temper. Or you'll say, oh, that's just kind of the way she is, right? We'll make excuses for it and say, well, she just kind of does that. She loses her temper from time to time, so we've just learned to kind of tolerate that bad behavior is, in essence, what we're saying. And what I'm saying to you is that, no, the, the best way for us to think about anger is think about it being a choice. I mean, what does it even mean for us to say that I lost my temper, you know? I mean, we don't, you don't lose your temper, you don't misplace it, you didn't drop it somewhere along the way. No, what a better way to say it is I chose to get really angry. <laughs> That's a completely different way of thinking about anger, but it is, it's a truer way to think about it. Because again, anger is always a choice. When I get angry, it's because I've chosen to be angry. I've chosen to just fly off the handle, right? But what God wants, the, one of the, the purposes of this whole series this summer, God wants us to make better choices. He wants us to make wise, godly, informed choices based on his word so that then we can have these kinds of clean hearts we've been talking about all summer long. And so again, that whole idea of choice as it pertains to anger is all through God's word. Just one real quick example I want to point out. Genesis 4, that whole thing with Cain and Abel, we've returned to this story a couple of times this summer as well. But God says this specifically to Cain, why are you angry says if you do what's right you'll be accepted right but if you don't sin he says is crouching at the door it desires to have you but you must master it it's all just getting back to this point of choice unfortunately unfortunately Cain turns right around I mean, there's nothing, there's no other action. You know, God says this, and then it says Cain turns right around, and he goes and he kills his brother in this this murderous rage. He flies off the handle. He makes a poor choice. He chooses to be angry, and and Abel pays the price. So back to our buddy Mark Twain and his comment that anger does more harm to the person who harbors it than the person who receives it. I think Abel would stand up and say, "Uh, I might disagree with that. (laughs) The point here, again, is that anger impacts everybody, and we have to do a better job of making better godly choices when it comes to our anger. Otherwise, we're giving Satan occupied territory in our heart. There's an author by the name of Craig Groeschel, and he says that there are two ways that anger typically manifests itself. And I I wish this was original to me. It's not, but I think it's really good. It preaches. He says, one, we spew our anger, all right? Or number two, we stew in our anger, you like that? <laughs> so we typically, anger is expressed one of two ways, he says. And, and I think he's spot on. So we either spew our anger or we stew in our anger. And I bet one, I bet one of those or the other is, is, is kind of like where you typically, how you typically manifest your anger, how you express your anger. All right, do you know which one you are? I want no show of hands, okay? But I just be thinking, do you know which of those two are you more inclined to? If you don't know, ask the person next to you. They probably have a pretty good idea uh, which one you are. The angry spewer, all right? This is pretty easy to identify if you're, you know, driving in the car and your family has all these stories about the times when you got upset, then you're probably like me. You're probably one of these people who tends to spew. That's, that's where anger is externalized, basically. This, this person has no problem verbalizing their anger. They have no problem expressing their anger. Now, usually, what goes along with this is that person has a, has a quick trigger, <laughs> right? They can go from zero to 60, you know, just like that. Uh, they're the kind of person where, you know, when they're, when they're angry and upset, everybody knows it. So, okay, maybe that's you, maybe that's, that's somebody that you know. Um, I mean, it, we all, a lot of people are smiling right now because we think, yeah, I, I've got a story or two there. I, you know, I'd love to hear them. But I just want you to know, and I, this is, again, where being confessional, I kind of have to take my medicine here. For somebody who who is is quick-tempered, if that's kind of where you go, if you tend to just, it's easy for you to kind of spew that, that anger, you need to know that the Bible denounces that. The Bible says, not good. And one place in particular that we can point this out is from Proverbs 14. You'll see it on the screen here. A wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil, but listen to this part, but a fool is hot-headed and reckless. A quick-tempered man does foolish things, and a crafty man is hated. Okay, so the Bible says it's foolish to be hot-headed, to be reckless, that a quick-tempered man does foolish things. And if you're an anger spewer, you're probably in, in your mind, you're thinking absolutely right how many things have you said in your anger that you just wish you could take back right but but the you know the, the horse is out of the barn once once those words are out there we can't take them back but how many times has that happened have you ever you know you said something and you think why did i say that or or there's been some some sort of action maybe you know in, in your relationships is there some relationship some some friend some cousin some loved one somebody that you're you're not as close to anymore you once were but because of something you said or because of something you did in your anger now that relationship is a little bit impaired you know for for those of us who are spewing our anger uh there's probably some of those kinds of scenarios that can come to mind pretty easily that's the very thing that god in his word is trying to warn us against he's trying to say look being hot-headed and reckless and just spewing your anger everywhere that's not, it's not what I want. That's not godly biblical wisdom. And our own life experience tells us that. That is not the way that God wants us to live. So if you're a, a, a person who deals with anger that way, if you tend to spew that anger on others, I want you just to hear what God's word says. He says it's foolish to be reckless and hot-headed like that. All right. So that's, but that's just one. And again, that one's easier to identify. Because everybody can look at the person who's red-faced or, you know, you can remember the, the, the story of someone spewing. But it's the second one that's a little trickier to identify. Uh, the, not the person who spews their anger everywhere, but the person who stews in their anger. They're more like a, 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 like a cold-blooded assassin. You know, you, you never know exactly where that person might be because, because you'll never know. Because from all outward appearances, they seem fine they seem great you wouldn't know that inside they're just churning (laughs) that they have they've been sitting on and stewing on that anger so so the angry stewer, they they deal with anger not by externalizing that like the spewer but instead internalizing so they're bottling everything up things are happening and they're just kind of pushing it down right And they keep pushing down their anger and pushing it down and and hoping that it's it's not, you know, going to manifest itself. They sweep it under the rug, but it's always right there underneath the surface, right? And eventually, it's going to come out one way or another. So if you tend to deal with anger in that kind of way, again, you hear the thing about the spewing, you think, well, I'm not that, you like to kind of sit on things. I want you to hear this, because this is, this is denounced as well in, in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says that love keeps no record of wrongs. And I'm telling you that because if you, if you struggle with kind of sitting on things and stewing on things and pushing them down, then more likely than not, what you do is the, the steward keeps this running list of offenses, right? And the person who stews on those things, what they do is they turn those, those past things, the things where they've been wronged, okay? They turn those over and over in their mind and in their heart, and so they just kind of like chew on it, and they stew on it. And from the outer appearances, again, everything's fine, but inside they're just chewing on that and stewing on it and keeping this record of wrongs because he did this and she did that, and they're just digging themselves this grave internally because they're stewing. And their anger. And I want you to know that what God wants for us, what God says, is that we need to be people who love in a way that is free from this whole record of wrongs thing. So, which one are you? <laughs> are you uh, one who spews your anger? Are you one who tends to stew in that anger? Do you have a tendency toward one or the other? And again, I would just want you to know that both of those ways of dealing with our anger can be really, really harmful. So now as we, as we kind of wind things down, um, it's easy to see the, the ways in which anger can get the best of us if we let it. I want us to, to take a turn here and think about, okay, constructively, what, is, what does it look like? Can you give us an example of how we can constructively deal with our anger? We know, you know spewing in it and stewing in it, and that's, <laughs> neither of those are, are really good. Um, we're going to turn to an example from the Gospels. We're, gonna, we're going to look at an episode from the life of Jesus, and it's not the one that might come to mind first. For some of you, as you think about, okay, dealing with anger, and you think about Jesus, you might think of Jesus in the temple, clearing out the temple. He's upset because of what he sees there, and that would be a great one. But today, I want us to look instead at an episode from Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 3. I'd like for us to read uh, Mark 3 together, and then we'll we'll wrap up. Mark 3, starting in verse 1. Another time... He, Jesus, went to the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, them being the Pharisees, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And Jesus asked them, which is lawful to do on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? to save life or to kill, but they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger, notice that, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the last of a series of conflict stories that Mark opens up his gospel with. He's, he's trying to help us see this escalating tension between Jesus and the Pharisees. And at the end, it says they're, they're conspiring to take his life. So we, we see kind of how things are progressing. In this particular episode, Jesus, he's continuing to, to be scrutinized by the Pharisees. And so they show up, and, and, uh, and he puts a question to them. He has this man stand in front of them. He says, okay, so what you're concerned about the Sabbath. What's lawful to do on the Sabbath? All right, should you do good or should you do evil? Save life or take it. And they remain silent. And that really indicates the source of this conflict to a certain degree. It reveals much about the conflict. Because, because the Pharisees are, are so concerned about the minutia of the law, and I'm going to even go so far as to say they're, they're concerned about their interpretation of the minutia of the law, that they have no regard for this man standing right in front of them. They, they remain silent, even though this man with his, with his hand and the opportunity for it to be healed, I mean, it's all playing out right here in front of them, but they remain silent. And even worse, their entire reason for being there upsets Jesus. Their reason for being there is to, to find fault with Jesus, to accuse him of violating the Sabbath. And so you see here... This, this contrast where Jesus is over here, uh, he's doing good, he's alleviating human suffering. Meanwhile, the Pharisees are present only for evil purposes, only to scout him out, only to accuse him. And, and then they begin to, to work, to plot, to take his life. And all that takes place on the precious Sabbath day that they are so concerned about. And Mark says that Jesus looks at the Pharisees in anger one of the only times in the scriptures that that term is applied to Jesus, that Jesus was angry, all right? So again, we're back to our distinction between righteous anger and sinful anger. Only in Mark's gospel do you get this. In the, in the accounts in Matthew and Luke, they don't, they don't give us that detail, but Mark says Jesus was angry. And the word choice that he uses is, is really interesting. It's, it's revealing, frankly. So there is a word in the ancient Greek for this fly-off-the-handle kind of anger. This explosive, rant, rave, stomp your foot kind of anger, there's a word for that, but it's not the word that Mark uses. He doesn't describe the anger of Jesus in those terms. Instead, he uses a term that describes a more rational and calculating sense of anger. He uses this this word to describe the anger of Jesus. It's the same word that Aristotle uses to describe anger mixed with sorrow, okay, So the idea there is that Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he's angry at them, but he also kind of pities them. He doesn't just fly off the handle. It's not this blind rage that we see in the Cain and Abel episode, but instead Jesus is angry, but he also is really, really sorrowful. And I think that's where we can distinguish again between that righteous and that sinful kind of anger. Because what it says is that Jesus was angry, and the very next line, did you catch it? And he was distressed at their stubborn hearts. Jesus was angry, but in his anger he didn't sin. He occupies that rare space where we, where we can be angry and not give in to sin. And he redirects his anger to do something good and righteous. Now in Jesus' case, that means performing a miracle. <laughs> in Jesus' case, that means he heals the man's hand and, and he goes about his, his business and it prompts the Pharisees to want to take his life. But for us, for you and me i want you to think about that i want you to think about the example of jesus and how that anger that spark that indignation actually leads him to do something positive and righteous and good rather than something sinful and you can probably think of a lot of ways that is that can be applied in your life let me just give you a couple and then we'll close so if someone you love is living in sin if they continue to make bad choices can continue to make the choices that violate you know, god's will for their life i hope that makes you angry i mean i hope that upsets you and bothers you i hope i hope that there's a little bit of indignation about that right but but i hope that we cannot allow that anger to lead us into sin but instead that we can take that that indignation that spark that, what, that anger and use it as fuel to confront our loved one in a spirit of compassion and honesty um, or maybe your marriage is, is really in trouble. And I hope, I hope that makes you angry. I hope there's a little bit of indignation. I hope there's a little bit of fight in you for your marriage. But rather than channeling all that anger toward your spouse, no matter what he did or she did, you know, maybe instead you take that anger and, and, and channel it at the enemy who has a foothold in your marriage, who we've given a place in the home. And maybe we need to take that anger and use it as as fuel and righteous indignation to do whatever we can to kick him out and reclaim this space as space that belongs to the Lord Lord Jesus. Or maybe as you look out on a world filled with brokenness and pain and poverty and disease and lawlessness and all this, maybe looking out at that world prompts you, maybe you Maybe you're angry. You're angry about the way the world is. But let's use that anger, use that indignation to to try and alleviate pain, to, to do whatever we can to make the world the kind of place that Jesus was praying about in the Lord's Prayer when he said, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That kind of indignation, that feeling has prompted a lot of good works over the years. So let's use that anger as fuel to do some good things that honor God like I said you can probably think of a lot of applications but I just want us to to take seriously what God says about using that anger in our in your anger do not sin because that's toxic maybe today maybe today the decision you need to make is a decision to move away from the toxic sin that is in your life I hope hope maybe today you're angry If there is toxic sin in your life, maybe today is the day that you need to take some decisive action. You need to confess your sins to God. You need to follow Jesus into the waters of baptism. You need to allow God to cleanse you from all unrighteousness through the blood of Jesus Christ. We would love to celebrate that with you here. If you have any needs like that that you need to share, I hope you'll do that. If there's anything else on your heart that we can be praying about for you, We would love to do that as well. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation together.